a collectivity sermon about the six commandments, lead us not into temptation, the six petition, lead us not into temptation. We'll read from the letter of James, chapter 1, the first 18 verses. James 1, verse 1 through to 18. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven tossed by the, and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for me. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought, brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So far from Scripture, let's now turn to the last Lord's Day of the Halleberg Catechism, Lord's Day 52. On page 563 of your book of praise. Lord's Day 52. What is the sixth petition? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That is, in ourselves we are so weak that we cannot stand even for a moment. Moreover, our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh do not cease to attack us. Will you therefore uphold and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that it is in, 
so that in this spiritual war, we may not go down to defeat, but always firmly resist our enemies until we finally obtain the complete victory. How do we conclude? How do you conclude your prayer? For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. That is, all this we ask of you, because as our king having power over all things, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good. And because not we, but your holy name should receive all glory forever. What does the word Amen means? Amen means it's true and certain. For God has much more certainly heard my prayer than I feel in my heart that I desire this of him. So far, our confession. In response to the sermon, we'll sing from hymn 63, the verses 1, 7 and 8. That's from the rhymed version of the Lord's Prayer. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, although by God's grace we may live in a free and peaceful country, from a spiritual point of view, we live in a war zone. A dangerous war is going on, and we are caught right in the middle of it. Now, I don't say that just to catch your attention at the beginning of the sermon, but to make you aware of this dangerous, dangerous war, which is very real. A war that has already been raging since the beginning of history, after man fell into sin. It was the Lord himself who declared that war, the war between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And as God's children, we are called to take a stand in this war, showing our true colors so that people can see to whom we belong. Showing true colors in living Christ-like and kingdom-focused. And that's not always easy. Our sinful nature often stands in the way. At times, it happens that we give in to things that we know it's not right, and yet we do it. Or there are decisions to break with certain wrongdoings, but we put them off day after day after day. I think we can all identify with situations like this. It is not right. It grieves the Lord. And so the Lord asks us to make choices, and we can't postpone them. We have to make them now. Now. Today. Now, we may thank the Lord that he will help us in making these choices. The Lord, thankfully, does not leave us to our own. In prayer, we may call upon his holy name. And then we may ask, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And beloved, when we sincerely pray this petition, you may have the firm assurance that the Lord will also hear this prayer. But of course, you can't pray this prayer 
if deep down you don't want to give up that habit, which is wrong. It should be a sincere prayer. And you might have to fight that habit, but if there is that willingness with the help of the Lord to fight that habit, sinful habit, then you can be assured the Lord will hear that prayer and will give you all that you need to fight that battle. Weak soldiers, and that's what they all are, weak soldiers, receive a powerful weapon when praying the sixth petition. And that's what we will focus on this afternoon. Concluding his prayer, God's child, weak in himself, looks for strength from on high. And where else will we find strength? And he does so that indeed, in our own strength, we are not able to cope with life. And therefore, help has to come, and it comes from above. Yeah, it will indeed come from above without any doubt. So, let us first focus on our own weaknesses. We take the sixth petition on our list, brothers and sisters. As still of God, we pray for strength amidst the temptations we are confronted with on a daily basis. This this petition, we are weak in ourselves, as the Catechism says, so weak that we can't even stand for one moment. Do you believe that? See, that's the point. We, we, from Catechism students onwards, we, we know the sixth petition, and we just say it. Can't even stand for one moment. But do you believe that? That you are so weak that you cannot stand for one moment. Whilst on the other hand, our enemies do not cease to attack us. And what kind of enemies? Bloodthirsty, who have in mind nothing else than our, com than our complete destruction. Well, that's the war zone we live in. Nothing to make light of. Dangerous. And therefore the Lord lays this petition on our lips. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, how are we to understand that? Lead us not into temptation. For you can ask that, but are we not, are we not already right in the middle of it? Not one day passes by without being tempted by something. We live in a sinful world. And none of us can escape these temptations. Moreover, God himself gives the church a place right in the middle of these temptations. So how can we then pray, lead us not into temptation? Also, can God lead us in temptation? Is that the divine work? Tempting, isn't that our, our arch enemy trying to get us in his, in his grip? Tempting, isn't that the work of the devil? I think here also what we read in the, uh, this afternoon, the letter of James. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he tempts, himself tempts no one. So what does it then mean that we ask God, not Satan, but we ask God, lead us not into temptation? We touch here, brothers, this is on a very challenging issue. Namely, the relation between God's work and the work of the devil. 
As to this relation, for a start, it should be evident that God is holy. God has nothing to do with evil. The Apostle John writes in his letter, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. But it doesn't mean that the evil is some kind of independent power on which God has, has no influence, thankfully, thankfully not. If that were the case, then God would not be almighty. If the evil one was his power, having no influence of God, they would be lost. But it says in Article 13, God holds in check the devil and all our enemies so that they cannot hurt us without his permission and will. That's a beautiful confession. We can't always understand that, but it's beautiful. God holds in check the devil and all our enemies so that they cannot hurt us without his permission and will. Two police officers shot dead on Monday. Why did God let that happen? We don't know. But it did not happen without God's will. And that's something we can't understand. But that's still what we confess in Articles 13. The devil has no free reign as if he were a second god with power similar to God. Satan is no more than a creature and no free agent who can do what he wants. On the, God, on the contrary, God has Satan on a chain. And as a result of that, Satan, but what he does, he can only do within the scape, within the scope of that chain. No further. And it's a tremendous effort. As for those of our brothers and sisters who are persecuted. Why? Killed in prison. You should, I don't know when you read magazines about persecution. Horrible. Tortured. Killed in a horrible way. People who love God dearly. Why? But that's the battle. Where God is in check of the devil. And we don't know why he allows to do that. But it gives comfort. But it also shows how, how severe that battle is. A battle we have never to make light of. We read it in Revelation 12, where the Apostle John in Ephesians sees Satan thrown out of heaven and cast to the earth, and then it reads thereafter, Woe the inhabitants of the earth and the sea! For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath. Because he knows that his time is short. He knows that. And it will only become worse because Satan knows that he's on the losing end. For he's lost the battle already. He's lost the battle already. If you want to compare that, think of, if you know a bit of history, then you know about the Second World War and how the Allied troops landed in Normandy on the 6th of June 1944. And they made headway, headway all to the River Rhine. And they stopped. And after that, in the north of the Netherlands, they still went through a severe hunger winter. Why? We don't know. But Hitler knew already he was on his way out. 
And that's why he fought so hard in those areas where he still had power. But he knew, I'm on the losing end. Now that's Satan. Satan is on the losing end, and that's why he is so busy. And also, so we should never make light of that, that, that war that is going on because Satan knows time is running out of him. The devil. But the devil is not alone. He also has some powerful allies. The Catechism mentions the world and our own flesh. Now, especially the latter, the sinful flesh, is one of Satan's strongest allies. It's an enemy which in us, which quickly gets hold of us, breaking our willpower to fight against what is wrong and making us even weaker than we already are. And yet, there is one comfort. All these enemies are still guarded by God and are so completely in his hand that with God's will, they cannot so much as move. And nevertheless, God allows them to tempt us. Why? To bring out the light of our faith even more brightly. Let's go to scripture, which gives us examples of that. I think of Abram, whom God commanded to sacrifice his son. In Genesis 22, we read that God did so to test Abram. But no doubt, at the same time, Satan was there, poisoning Abram's mind, causing him to go back. Is that a loving God who commands you to sacrifice your own son? That cannot be right. Don't do that. Go back. But Abram obeyed. Despite the attacks of the devil, his face prevailed. A difficult journey, but by power from above, he withstood the evil one. But it doesn't always happen like this. There's another example. David. David whom God moved to number Israel. That's what we read in 2 Samuel 24 verse 1. God moved David to number Israel. But if you go to the parallel text in 1 Corinthians 21, it reads that Satan moved David. So reading these two texts together shows us how David's faith was thrown into the crucible. But by God came from the one side and David from the other, and Satan from the other side, in a similar way as it happened to Abram. But David gave in. He gave in. His pride was stronger than his faith. It was only by the grace of God that later on David came to his senses again and repented from sin. See, beloved, that's how these these three sworn enemies are out repeatedly trying to tempt us as believers. In the Catechism we read, they do not cease to attack us. One can become very tired of that. Think of the struggle of Job to come to terms with what he suffered sitting amid the ashes when his, friend, when his friends visited them, him. What a suffering. That shows, if you look at Job, that shows how weak man is when he is left to his own. Job wasn't left to his own, but sometimes he sought. But that in that weakness, God will give us strength so that we do not go down to defeat, but may firmly resist our enemies to the very end. Power from above, which we receive 
to withstand the evil one. And that power comes from Christ. So the work of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Christ, who himself also was tempted by Satan. But do you know how Christ withstood Satan? If you read that in Matthew, then on those three examples which are given when Christ was tempted by Satan, three times he said, it is written. So what did Christ do? He quoted the Bible. And that's how he prevailed. It is written. Well, beloved, because of Christ's accomplished work, whereby he defeated the evil one, we might find strength in him today. The Apostle Peter, to the Apostle Peter, Christ once said, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And that prayer, Christ prays for, prays for us today in heaven, where he intercedes for us before the Father, so that amidst the trials and temptations, we will not go down to defeat, but instead may persevere in faith. That's the comfort to which we may, may cling. And it might well be, brothers and sisters, that sometimes it becomes too much for us. Life can be hard to cope with. God still gave Satan great power. And in that power, Satan does his utmost to attack us, using in particular that ally which in us, our sinful flesh. At times, we may even become weary of fighting. And then at night, we feel ashamed. When we go and pray to our, our great Father in heaven, we have to admit, Father, it went wrong again. I feel ashamed. Say that, honestly, to your Father in heaven. When you've done something wrong, which you want to fight, but during the day you couldn't be bothered. Father, I feel ashamed. I did it again. As long as that shame is there, brothers and sisters, it shows that the Spirit is still at work. The Spirit who will direct us to Christ again, our advocate before the Father, then in prayer we may cling to that promise we read in Scripture, that one day, one day, the God of peace will crush Satan under our feet. One day the battle will end. And he who in faith keeps fighting will on that day also share in the victory, as we read about in the last book of the Bible, Revelation 15. We find there the multitude of saints standing at the sea of glass, singing the song of Moses and of the Lamb. And these are, so we read there, those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and the number of his name. These are the children of God, who throughout their entire life, kept praying, Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In that hour, when the battle is over, they will see the evil one thrown into the lake of fire. Yet it is not that far yet. As Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are still living in a war zone. But in particular because of our weakness, we are an easy target for the evil one. We have faith. But let's be honest, brothers and sisters, how weak that faith often is. 
but the Lord knows how weak we are. In Psalm 103, we read, the Lord knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust, perishable, just a bit of wind, and we are blown away. That's what we are, just a little bit of wind, blown away. But that's why the Lord has laid that sixth petition on our lips. And that's a necessary prayer. I think here of what we as stewards confess in the canons of the Lord. If you turn with me to the beautiful chapter, the fifth chapter, the Perseverance of the Saints, page 582 of your book of praise. Five eighty-three, as a matter of fact, Article Four, where we read the following strong warning. Although the power of God, whereby He confirms and pre- preserves true believers in in grace, is so great that it cannot be conquered by the flesh. Yet the converted are not always so led and moved by God that they cannot, in certain particular actions, turn aside through their own fault. Turn aside from the guidance of grace. And be seduced by and yield to the lust of the flesh. They must, therefore, constantly watch and pray that they may not be led into temptations. For when they do not watch and pray... They not only can be, can be drawn away by the flesh, the world, and Satan to serious and atrocious sins, but with the righteous permission of God are sometimes actually drawn away. The lamentable fall of David and Peter and all the saints described in Holy Scripture demonstrates this. They have it. That may happen, brothers and sisters, like Peter and David, but we think... I can handle that. No worries. I can cope. And do not say, that will not happen to me. Instead, realize that despite all good intentions you may have, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. We better do to recognize this. See, that's often our problem. We are a bit like Peter, who said to the Lord Jesus, if you all are made to stumble... Don't worry, you can count on me. I will die for you. And only a female maid said, were you that person? Oh, no, no, I'm not. There he stumbled. He thought he was strong in own strength. Well, beloved, that's precisely us. Oh, no, that will not happen to me. I'm not like that. Maybe that brother, yes, but... I'm much better than a brother. Will not happen to me. My children? No, my children will not do that. We will do better to recognize our own weaknesses. But for as we we read that every time, or we hear that every time when the Lord's form for the Lord's Supper is read, we have not yet perfect faith. Daily. We have to contend with the weakness of our faith and the evil desires of our flesh. That's what we hear every time when the form for the Lord's Supper is read. But again, these are these things that we hear. But do we agree with that? 
Do you feel weak? Or say, I'm strong in faith. The minister here on the pulpit doesn't dare to say that. If it was not by the grace of God. In my own, of my own, I'm as weak as David, as Peter, as weak as Samson. That's us. If the Lord, by his grace, would not uphold us. That's the brutal battle. But in that battle, the Lord has given us the weapon of prayer. Let's then also use that weapon. Use it properly. Which brings us to the second point of the sermon. From the first point of the sermon, we learn that amidst the trials and temptations, we may seek refuge with the Lord. But one may ask, are we always safe with the Lord? The Lord himself sometimes causes us to suffer, allowing Satan to attack us. I mentioned Job, David, when Satan stood him up to number Israel and Judah. But I think also a text of heresy by which Satan tries to scatter God's flock. It's the work of Satan. But not only. God is at work as well. If you turn with me, even in a text of heresy, God is at work as well. If you turn with me to Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy 13, verse 1 through to 3. Deuteronomy 13, verse 1 through to 3. It reads there, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For, and there it comes, your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. There you have it. So even if there is a false prophet, the Lord can allow that to test our faith. That's how Satan is tempting. Tempting. But the Lord is testing. Bringing our life into a crisis like Abram, who had to sacrifice his own son. Or like Job. Yet, beloved, that God throws us into the crucible this way, we still may be assured he has not left us. He remains our father, who will not, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, who will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able, and who with the temptation will also make the way of escape that we are able to bear it as well. And therefore, if we keep clinging to God... The Lord in his faithfulness will ensure that through trials and temptations, the gold of our faith will shine more brightly. Job speaks about it as well. Then by power from above, we will grow stronger in faith. And that's why James can write, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall in various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. God designs the trials he faces in life for a purpose. They are tests of faith 
giving to us to develop perseverance. And in turn, perseverance produces mature Christian character. That's how the Lord is near amidst trials and temptations. We are His. And because we are His, He will bring us safely home. Look back on your life. The trials and valleys you had to go through. That's sometimes good. Just some reflection and say, how did we ever make it through that day? How did we ever make it through that difficult time? By grace alone. Amazing grace. It's safe. It's grace that brought us safe this far. And grace will bring us safely home. Beautiful song. Home eternally. But the point though is that doesn't happen by itself. It requires that we cling to the Lord, recognizing our weaknesses and seek that power from above. Prayer. But also means Bible reading. That you are founded in the Bible. That you can say when you are amidst the trials, you say, but wait a moment. It is written. And then you cling to a promise of God. That's what the Bible does. Read your Bible. As the children's song said, read your Bible and pray every day. We pray. But go, do we go through scripture that we can admit the trial, say, but it says here, for example, that, that soul of Paul in the flesh, but the Lord says, my grace will be sufficient. What a beautiful promise. And so the Bible is full of promises. Why? The central message of the Bible is that God is love. We will, be, we will celebrate Christmas. And then I think of that text the children know. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. God gave his son. So much he loved us. Would he then not help us in the battle? So you are safe with the Lord. In this context, I go back to Revelation 12, where we read about the devil going down to earth, and they say, Whoa, the inhabitants of the earth, for the devil has come down to you with great wrath. The dragon persecuting the church, and God allows the devil to do so. But the Lord also allows the, the, the dragon not to destroy the church. He, doesn't, he ensures that the devil cannot destroy the church. How? By giving the woman, that's the New Testament church, two wings of the great eagle, that she may fly into the wilderness where she is nourished by God from the presence of the serpent. The wilderness, that, that's a theme that comes back. We know the wilderness, that's where, where God had Israel on its own, on its way to the promised land, the wilderness. And that theme comes back in the prophecies of Hosea. If you read Hosea 2 verse 14... In the days of Hosea, the people had turned their back upon God. They served the Baals, and God hated that. He saw his people going away from them. And then he says, you're still my bride. You're still my bride. Allure you back to go back in the wilderness while you're on my own. Alone with God. Keep that in mind, beloved. 
Our life is busy. And sometimes people have, have difficulty to lay their phone away because you have to be online. A new message, and the first thing we do, we pick up the phone. Because we can't miss that message. That's why it is so dangerous to read your Bible from the phone. Go into the inner room, Christ says. Read your Bible. Do you do that? Have that quiet time, so to speak, in the wilderness. Just in a room on your own, not disturbed by anyone. Read your Bible and pray. Every day, half an hour with the Lord. It's a bare minimum. But in our business of life, do you still find time for that? We should. We should because that's essential for the battle we have to fight. Time, wits, and for God. The builders, that's where God cared for his people after he had redeemed them from Egypt. And they received all that was needed. It was not nice to live in the wilderness. But there were many dangers as well. But every time, there was manna from heaven and water from the rock. God was there, nourishing his people day by day. Water from the rock, bread from heaven. And then the Lord Jesus Christ says, I'll be reading also in scripture, 1 Corinthians 10, the rock was Christ. So it was Christ that traveled with them through the wilderness, as in the clouds. And that's how God is with us today. When do you feel nearest to God? When you go on your knees and lay it all before the Lord. Lord, I'm weak. I'm so tired of this battle. I read once a quote of a professor not so long ago. He said, I'm tired of sin. Well, I'm tired of sin. And hope you can agree with it. Tired of sin. But God is there to nourish us every day. To uphold and strengthen us. And therefore, beloved, if in prayer we cling to the Lord, Satan will not get us. No matter how hard he may try, they will not go down to defeat, but always firmly resist our enemies until we finally obtain the complete victory. When the God of peace will crush Satan under our feet. And that brings us to the third point of this afternoon. The doxology. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. From which we may learn that God will hear our prayer much more certainly than I feel it in my heart. It's a beautiful confession. For sometimes when we bring all our, all our worries and concerns before the Lord, having finished our prayer, we keep worrying. Sometimes we wonder, will God have really heard me? Will he really help me? Love, there is no need to doubt it. When you have carried your burden before Father's throne, and that's why we may conclude that prayer, that Lord's prayer with the doxology. The doxology, first of all, speaks about God's kingship that surpasses all other kingships. To know what God's kingship is like, I think of Psalm 72, where we read, The helpless poor 
he will deliver. And hear them when they call. For he is the great and gracious giver. He has pity on them all. He saves them from oppressors greedy. And he is their anguished cries. The blood of all the poor and needy is precious in his eyes. The Rhymed Version of Psalm 72, verse 7. In Isaiah 11, we read that as king God does not decide by the sight of his eyes, but he judges the poor with righteousness and decides with equity for the meek of the earth. No favoritism whatsoever. Completely righteous. Righteousness, it says there, is the belt of his loins and faceless the belt of his waist. That's how God cares for us. As a king for his people. He cares so much for us, as I mentioned that already, that he gave his own son to redeem us from the clutches of Satan. And that, as it says in Romans 5, while we were yet sinners. That was not because there was something nice in us that God says, well, I'm going to, re to redeem these people. We were enemies. And yet God sent his son. Well, this God who loved us so, as I said it before, not provide, us, not provide for us under all circumstances of life. Paul says it after he has spoken about that. He says, he will freely give us all things with Christ. With that confidence, we may conclude our prayer. Thine is the kingdom. With the king of this kingdom, we may know ourselves safe. The king to whom belongs all power in heaven and on earth. He's in control of all forces. Psalm 93, he has girded himself with strength. Whatever opposes him will be brought to ruin. In Psalm 2, we read, The kings of the earth may set themselves and the rulers may take counsel together. Yet who he sits in heaven laughs. He holds them in derision. To him the nations are no more than a drop in a bucket counted as small dust on the scales. Putin. Putin. Small dust on the scales. God has a whole world in his hand, ruling everything for the good of his children. Again, then we can't always understand God's plan. Why God allows things like in Ukraine to happen. And despite all that happens, God continues to build his church. I spoke about the persecuted churches. Stories. Nigeria. Nigeria, if you have heard about the organization Open Doors, it lists every day, every year, a list of countries where God's people are persecuted the most severe. Nigeria. And there is a church. And that church grows. That's God. Satan tries to destroy the church. But the church grows in places where you would at least expect it. Because the rulers of this world are just a drop in a bucket. God builds Jerusalem. It says, was well in the days of, it's, I think of Psalm 147. He builds Jerusalem, which was laid in ruin in the days that this psalm was made. The church had gone into exile. But then the Lord puts a song on the lips of these exiles, a song of praise. Keep courage. I will heal the brokenhearted and bind up the wounds that smarted. Don't look at the powers of this world. For my joy 
could never have its sources in warriors, legs, or strengths of horses. But in those who fear me, I take pleasure, who make my steadfast love their treasure. And that's what we should do. We may lay down all our concerns before God. Whatever is on our minds, he will hear. And he will grant what we need in the deepest valley of life. He will unburden you. So that having laid down your your needs before him, you no longer have to carry them. Father knows about it. And we have to, to realize that when you pray, leave it there. The almighty God, who for Christ's sake is my father, he will take care of that. Maybe not always in the ways I would like to see it. But he has a perfect plan for me. Numbered every day. And not only he did number these days, but he numbered also what would happen on these days. You don't have to worry about it. Maybe tomorrow you will have an accident on the road. God has already taken care of you. So that he will provide you also then with all that you need. Should I worry about that? We do sometimes. But we shouldn't. For Father is there. If you lay it before the Lord, he will answer our praise. And that not only for our sake, but also for his own sake. That's what he confessed when he say, for thine is the glory forever. It's for the sake of God's own glory that he will finish perfectly what he has undertaken. And that's why scripture, we, it's going to be here con- quite often, saints pleading, Lord, for thy name's sake, hear and answer us. That's the name which God has called out over our life when we are baptized. We are covenant children. We are his. In Proverbs 18, verse 10, it reads, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and it is safe. And he is safe. I preached on the text when I was allowed to preach in Mendedjong here in August on the third commandment. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs to it and it's safe. God's name, I am who I am. A firm pleading ground for our prayer. A firm pleading ground we will never find. And that brings us back to the beginning of the catechism. But we confess that our only comfort is that we are the Lord's, both in life and death. A precious price has been paid for us, the death of God's own Son. And because of that precious price paid for me, I have the assurance that God will always help me. He will carry me in such a way that without his will, not even a hair can fall from my head. Again, a sentence we know, but think about it. You comb your hair in the morning. The hair falls on the ground. Counted by God. If you have chemotherapy, your hair falls out. Counted by God. That's my father, who causes all things working together for our salvation. And that's why you can say, Amen. Which means, the Lord is faithful. I lay my weak life in his almighty hands. I trust him that he will make all things well, even though I can't always understand it. That's how in prayer we may unburden ourselves 
pour out our hearts before the Lord, and then stand up relieved, for Father knows He will provide. He will hear and answer my prayer even much more certainly than I feel it in my heart that I desire it of him. It's true. It's certain. For to him, my faithful God and Father, belongs the kingdom, the power, the glory forever.